is we're going to tell these stories. Uh, we were, on the Connect card, I said there's a place for those Thrive stories. We want to share these stories, and we're capturing them on video so that we can post those on our website, that we can get them on social media, so we can get it just out, even outside of the encouragement that it needs to be here, but even into our community, because people need to know that God is for them. Amen? Amen? Yeah. All right. Well, we are into week three of our series called Thrive, which is the name of our church. We're talking this year, uh, this, during this series, the beginning of the year, about where God is leading us and who we're called to be as a church family. And so he had laid it on my heart to spend these first four weeks of the year looking at his plan for our lives as a church family. And, and uh, we've looked the last couple of weeks at our first uh, two points, know and grow, that we're called to know God and then grow as discipled. Disciples, this is all built into uh, the vision and mission that God has called us to as a church family. Our vision is this, helping people thrive in Christ. Helping people thrive in Christ. That's what God has called this ex expression of his body to be. That we would be a church that would help people thrive in Christ. You know, churches all around the world have a vision and a mission statement and values, and, and, and they change based on the personality and the culture of that church. And for this church, for us in this season where we are right here in Glendora, we feel like God's called us to be a people who would help others thrive in Christ. Our, our mission is this. We exist to help people thrive in Christ by knowing God, growing as disciples, serving like Jesus, and then going to the world to reach others. And this is all based out of John 10.10, which says, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and break into people's cars, right? <laughs> and destroy. But I have come that you would have life and have it abundantly, overflowing, that you would thrive. And then we talk about our values, the guiding principles, the rule of life for us as a church family on how we go about living life together. I'm not going to read through all of those. You can find those. In fact, they're on the, the back of your bulletin, and uh, you can check those out and, uh, and look into those. And then we're going to kind of flow into the message, and they have been over the last couple of weeks. So we talked about knowing God and growing as a disciple, and we've been making this statement. Let's see if you remember. I'm going to say a little phrase, and you're going to finish it for me. You ready? It's all about? Okay, some of you got it. It's all about? Relationship. The kingdom of God is all about relationship. The Trinity is all about relationship. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit live in perfect relationship with each other. That God, when he created Adam and Eve, had relationship with them. He walked with them in the garden. That he enjoyed spending time with his creation. It's all about relationship. Knowing God is all about relationship. It's about us having the opportunity to know a God who's extended himself to us. Who's made a way for us to walk in intimate close personal relationship with him, which just really should blow our minds every time we think about it. The creator of the universe, the one who knows all things, wants to be in relationship with you. He wants you to know him. Not only that, he wants us to know ourselves, our true selves, who he's created us to be. Getting past those places of brokenness and realizing God has a plan for our lives. And then knowing God leads us to be able to know other people. To see people the way that God sees people. He then has us grow as disciples, that we would become followers of Jesus. And the focus here is health. It's what's below the surface. If you picture a tree, those roots that go down below the surface, they need to be healthy for the tree to be healthy, if the, the root is not healthy, the tree is not healthy, and there will not be any fruit. And so we grow as a disciple, we focus on health, and we tend to those parts of our lives that need to be tended to so that we can grow the way that God has called us to grow, that we would be established in him. Well, this morning we're going to talk about serving like Jesus, serving like Jesus. Now, if you're anything like me and you grew up in church, anytime you hear a message that's about serving, you're like, oh, great. Here we go. 
you're going to ask me to volunteer for something. Maybe. But that's not the focus this morning. By the way, that word volunteer has no place in this church. That no one, no one here at Thrive Church volunteers, right? You can volunteer on the PTA, that's fine. But we don't have volunteers at Thrive Church because we're a family. And that we all belong to each other and we belong in this place and that we, we serve each other. Volunteer just doesn't have a good connotation to it, does it? That we serve like Jesus. If you have your Bibles this morning, I'd like you to turn to Mark chapter 10, verse 35. Mark chapter 10, verse 35. I want to take a look at a, an encounter that Jesus had with a couple of his disciples. And in the midst of this encounter, shares a little bit of his heart with us. Well, actually, a big part of his heart with us. Of why he came to earth. Why Jesus came. So, Mark chapter 10, starting in verse 35. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. That's pretty bold, isn't it? My kids came to me and said, Dad, I want you to do for me whatever I ask. Yeah, it's not going to end well. But Jesus is gracious, more gracious than I am. What do you want me to do for you, he asked. And they replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other your left in your glory. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? We can, they answered, probably too enthusiastically. Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. But to sit at my right or, or, or my left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been reserved and prepared. When the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. Jesus called them together and said, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. Not so... Uh, not so, I'm sorry, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to be, become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. This is such a powerful passage of Scripture for us. I want to take a few minutes to kind of work through it a little bit, unpack some things from the passage, and then we're going to have four points of application this morning, which I'll get to in just a few minutes. So verse 35, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. You know, you know the irony of it is that like in John 15, Jesus says, right, if you remain in me, you can ask whatever you ask, whatever you want, and I will do it, Right? That, that is actually Jesus' heart for them and for us. Ask whatever, and I'll do it for you. What's the problem here, though, with James and John? The heart. Their heart's totally in the wrong place. They're all about themselves. And when you read this, past, this account in other Gospels, you actually find out that their mom is a part of the equation as well. It gets even weirder. Their mom is the one that's pushing towards, hey, go ask Jesus. Right? The teachers in the house probably know what this is like. There's those parents who their kid is the only kid. Right? Like they forget that there's 40 other children in your class or however many kids you have in your class. No, you need to focus on my child. When we were youth pastoring, we would go to camp. Those parents, I love those parents with the love of Jesus because I didn't have it. Yes, your child is special, but not that special. <laughs> the mother of James and John is like, here, put my kids to your right and to your left. And Jesus just handles them so carefully and tenderly. You see his heart, but their heart was the problem. It was all about them. It's about themselves. It was an inward focus. He says to them, you don't know what you're asking. You know that the, the position to the right and to the left he says it was reserved and prepared for others. It's a place of honor. 
It's a place of honor, and the Bible doesn't tell who it's prepared for. But what Jesus is saying, that place is reserved for those whose really whose heart is in the right place. So you just focus on what you need to focus on, and don't worry about that. Don't make that the goal. It's been prepared. It's done. You don't know what you're asking. How often do we come to Jesus? We don't know what we're asking. We're, we're saying things to him. We're requesting things from him. And I, I, I don't know what I'm asking because I see just in part. He goes on in verse 41. When the 10 heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. I, I love picturing the scene in my mind, right? These guys are like ticked off with them. And, and why, why are they mad? I, I'm thinking it's this. They're probably mad at themselves. Why didn't I think of that first? I should ask that first. They beat me to it. It's like calling shotgun, right? Oh, you beat me to it. They're indignant. They're frustrated with each other, and there's this tension that starts building within these disciples. Have you ever experienced tension within the body of Christ, right? No one's raising their hand. Yeah, you guys are all perfect. You're amazing. That the enemy's goal is to take those who are closest to Jesus and start pitting him against each other and start growing tension against each other. So they start tearing apart at the seams internally. See, internal strife in church history has been one of the greatest enemies of church growth and the impact of the church around the world. Church splits and brokenness and, and, and all kinds of, and all manner of things that would happen in the context of church, abuses. Criminal activity even. God says, that's not my heart for you. That's not my heart for you. So Jesus steps in. He steps in. He says, we, we can't have this. Let me share something with you. And he calls them together. And he gives them the example in verse 42 of the way the world does it. The rulers of this world lord it over people. A kid would say it this way. I'm the boss of you. I'm the boss of you. I'm in charge of you. I have the position of greater honor, the greater prestige. Look at me. A lot of young people, when they do the surveys now and say, what, it is, what is it that you want to be when you grow up? The, the number one answer right now is I want to be famous. I want to be famous, which really isn't even a thing, is it? <laughs> but why? Because there's this perception that if you're in a position where you're well-known, where you're famous, or you have some kind of power, that it gives you place in other people's lives to get them to do stuff for you. And so the rulers back then and even today lord it over those that are under their care. They use their authority for their own gain and not for the furthering of the kingdom of God. The idea is this, that being in charge moves you further away from the menial tasks. The more power I have, the more significance, the more titles I have, the more degrees I have, means I have to do less of the little things. The insignificant things. We'll leave those to the little people. And Jesus talks about this in Scripture and other places. Those places of honor at the table. Those things in, within the body of Christ that are not well regarded yet are worthy of special honor. Jesus just turns it upside down. And what's so amazing is that so often people in those positions of authority don't, remind, don't mind reminding other people about their position. And they wear it like a badge of honor. I've got to tell you, if, if anyone in history deserved to wear that badge of honor, it was Jesus. Yet he didn't. He says to them in verse 43, not so with you. Don't go down that road. Remembering this, that the disciples didn't, they came from humble beginnings. And now all of a sudden, these people, these men that came from humble beginnings, they were just fishermen, they had other trades, they were not the leaders in the community. But now they're with Jesus, and now there's crowds of thousands of people and now they're known as the ones who were with Jesus, and they've got a little, a little prestige. They're known a little bit because of their proximity. 
And he can start seeing in them the seed that's planted that says, hey, what can I get out of this? How can this make me look? How can I benefit? And Jesus says, not so with you, because he knows what's going to happen down the road, that he's going to die, he's going to resurrect, he's going to ascend to heaven, and these would be the guys that would now lead the church and lead the explosion of growth. And he's like, if you allow this to take root in your heart right now, it is going to create a mess down the road. Not so with you. Whoever wants to be great must be your servant. Jesus' kingdom, God's kingdom, is an upside-down kingdom. It is not like any kingdom of this world, where the rich, the powerful, the influential are at the top, and everyone else, depending on what you have or what you have to offer, is at some point down that pyramid. The kingdom of God gets inverted, where those with the most power, the most authority, starting with God himself, are in a place of service to everyone else. He says, not so with you, not so with you. If you want to be great, you need to be a servant to others. This is an absolute game changer for us, and it's so critical for us to understand. And then Jesus goes on in verse 45, and he leads by example. He shows us what this looks like. He says that he did not come to be served. That the God of the universe, the creator of all things, the one who deserves more than anyone else in history to be served, makes that statement, I did not come to be served, but I came to serve. I came to serve you, and not only to serve you, but to give my life. To give my life for you, sacrificially. So that you can know God. Because it's all about. It's all about relationship. That Jesus would give his life. His very life. For us. To serve us. So that we can be ushered into a place. Where we would have. A one on one personal intimate relationship. With Jesus. Here's the reality of this. We don't have to serve like Jesus. We get to serve like Jesus. We don't have to serve like Jesus. It's not a mandated thing. It's an opportunity for you and for I. We get to serve the way Jesus served us. We have the opportunity to look like Jesus in the way that we address service in our lives he came to give his life as a ransom for many. They were not deserving. That ransom that he paid, we did not deserve the price he paid for us. We just didn't. Yet he chose to go to the cross because it's all about relationship. And here's a key point. If you're taking notes, you want to write this down. True service will always point people to God. True service will always point people to God, not to ourselves. When we serve whatever capacity it's in, I'm not just talking about church. When we serve within our lives, whatever context, whether it's work or, or sports, or, it doesn't matter. When we serve, true service will always point people to God. And it's an easy way, it's a good barometer for us in the midst of our service to just say, am I pointing people to Jesus right now? Is Jesus getting glorified through what I'm doing, or am I getting the glory? True service will always point people to God. So what does this mean for us? It means this. We have to move away from saying this, what's in it for me? What's in it for me? And we live most of our lives that way. It becomes the matrix through which we filter our decisions. We make our decisions based on, will this benefit me? Is this good for me? We make our checklists, the pros and the cons, and that's usually based on what's in it for me. Imagine if Jesus made that list. I get to be assaulted, rejected, right? Beat up murdered, <laughs> I'm good right where I'm at. 
and tortured brutally. Yet he came. Why? Because it wasn't about what's in it for him. Now, here's the blessing is, Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews says that for the joy set before him, there was a result on the other side of it, you and me. The relationship being restored. We have to move away from asking the question, what's in it for me? And really saying, what's the benefit for you? How does this become a blessing to you? Starting to live our lives for other people. See, a life lived in the service of self really is not a life worth living. A life lived in the service of self is really not a life worth living. There's never been anyone at the end of their life who said, you know, I wish I had done more to bless me. Ever. And when you get to the end of your life, and there's story after story after story of this, and people say, you know, I wish I would have spent more time with my family. I wish I would have done more to be a blessing to my family. I wish I would have worked less and enjoyed life more. See, a life lived in service of self is not worth living. And Jesus is our example of that. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life. The focus on self takes away from relationship. A focus on self will always take away from relationship. And we've already established that it's all about relationship. The kingdom of God is all about relationship. And so as, as the Bible says, I, I have to decrease and he has to increase. John writes that, says that. It's not about me. John the Baptist got this. It's not about me. It's about him. John had a thriving ministry. And when Jesus stepped into the scene, he was like, go follow him. Because it's not about me. Focus on self takes us away from relationship. It's all about relationship. So what we need to do then is start asking some questions. What is it that God's calling me to? How is he calling me to serve? What places in my life have, have I been designed for in, in, in the realm of service? What does that look like practically? Because can I tell you, we can't just talk about this. This is not something to be discussed just over a cup of coffee and then left at that. Can you imagine if God and Jesus and the Father and Jesus, all they ever did was talk about him coming to save us? Good conversation. No, there was a point of action. There was something that he had to do to make that move down the street, to make that, that plan become a reality, to put it into action. And so I want to walk us through four things this morning that will help highlight what it is that God's calling you to. How is he calling you to serve? See, Jesus came with a very specific mission. God had called him to do something very specific. And I believe, and the Bible backs this up, that each of you, every one of us, is born with a mission from God, a design from God that allows us to discover what it is that he's called us to and what kind of impact, where it is that he's calling us to serve, not to make a name for ourselves, but to make a name for him, to make him famous. So here's four things. First is this. What is my personal vision? Or another way to put it is, what do I dream about? What do I dream about? What are the things that stir inside of me? Kids get this. When I was a kid, I wanted to be a fireman and a pilot and an engineer, and a chef, and all of those things. I, I dreamt about them, I, I, right? And as kids, it's easy to do that. I think we lose some of that dreaming capability as we get older, because reality sets in, and who really wants that? What do you dream about? What are the dreams that are still in your heart, even from when you were a kid? Things that you just can't get out of your mind. Man. I'd love the opportunity to do this, that, or the other. What are, what are the places where you sense God's call on your life? You see, for me, I never felt called to be a pastor. 
I grew up in church. I loved the church. I loved God. I attended. I, I served when I got older in our youth group in different ways. My parents were always involved. I never felt called to be a pastor. I wanted to be a fireman, pilot, engineer, and chef. Those were the things that I thought up into my college years. I was headed towards being an aeronautical engineer. Many of you have heard, I love flying. I love the idea of flying. I love looking at airplanes in and out at LAX. I love hanging out there and just watch planes land. And I really thought my life was headed down a road where I would be an aeronautical engineer. I was living in Washington right by Boeing at the time. I was like, this is what it is. And those doors closed for different reasons. A friend of mine at my church that I was serving with in the, in the junior high youth group there says, hey, I'm going to Bible college down in L.A. You should go. Okay. Gets me out of Washington. Sure. Southern California sounds good. I still didn't sense a call to the ministry. I had not dreamed about it. When I got to life, though, I set foot on campus at Life Pacific College, and I immediately knew in that moment, God spoke to me. He said, this is what I've called you to. And here's what's so incredible is I started looking back over my life at that point. I started seeing the places where God had started depositing a dream in my heart that I didn't even fully comprehend. And what do I do with all of those other things I wanted to do? You know, what's amazing is that God has woven a lot of those passions and those things that I dreamt about into my ministry. I was a missions pastor. I got to fly a lot. I got to spend a lot of time in airplanes. I didn't have to work on it. I just got to enjoy being in airports and flying in airplanes. I, I enjoy cooking. I don't have to be a chef. I enjoy cooking in my home. I haven't been a fireman yet, but hey, there's still time. Um, <laughs> but I started realizing God had deposited something in my heart that I didn't even realize other specific verses or passages that grab your attention when you read them, stories in the Bible that you go, oh, that's, that's a favorite of mine. That could be a clue into what God is calling you to. Have there been any words, prophetic words, words of wisdom spoken over your life in different seasons? I know I've talked to people who 15, 20 years ago received a word from the Lord, felt God was calling them to something, and 20 years later going, it hasn't happened yet. I love to ask people this, what's the last thing you, you know that God spoke to you that was God? What was the last thing you can go back to and say confidently, that was God speaking to me? Look for those things. Ask this question, it's a great question to ask. If money, time, and education were not a factor, and you knew that you, could, you wouldn't fail, what would you do? What would you do with your life? If right now, if you had all the money you needed, all the education you needed, all the time that you needed, what would you do with your life? And how different does that look from where you're at right now? See, because God didn't just create us to survive. He made us to thrive. And that might not be an easy question. I recognize that might be a painful question. There might be loss attached to that, disappointment attached to that. But I believe that God tells us, don't stop dreaming. Keep pursuing. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, I know the plans I have for you. What would you do? Psalm 37, verse 4 says this, take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. I love that. And this is not some kind of arm twisting with God. The key in this passage is the word delight. Delight yourself in the Lord or take delight in the Lord. What does that mean? Well, the word delight in the Hebrew is associated with intimacy, closeness. Get close to God. Get intimately, intimately close to God. Just get right in his face. Make him your all in all. Press into his presence. And when you delight yourself in him, when you immerse yourself in him, when you press into him, he says, in that time, in that place, I will give you the desires of your heart. Because our desires will then be aligned with him. This idea that God will call you to things you don't like or you're not good at, it's just weird to me. Why would he do that? He's a good father. 
God, I don't like to do this. He's going, well, I'm going to call you to do that. Right? And it's like some kind of, he's going to teach, you, teach me something. And God causes situations in our life to teach us character. But when it comes to the call on our lives, he doesn't play games. We do that. Right? He doesn't play games. Take delight. Intimacy. It's all about relationship. Second is this. Ask yourself, what am I good at? What am I gifted in? What are the areas that just come easily to me that naturally, I just have a natural ability, a knack for something? Ephesians 4, 7 says, however, he has given each one of us a special, a special gift through the generosity of Christ. He's given you gifts, spiritual gifts. There's things that are inside of you that are there by the hand of God. Every Sunday, I watch our worship team and I'm like, that's awesome. I can't do that. And it's not for lack of trying. I, I, for some reason, I felt like pastors have to know how to play the guitar. It's not written in any book anywhere or any in the bylaws. It just says, and so as a youth pastor, I, man, I'm plunked away on that guitar. I even try to lead worship for our youth group. I'm so sorry to all of those who are inflicted with that. And I've had a guitar. I've had two guitars, in fact, in my office, they've moved with us from Santa Fe Springs to Alaska, to Rancho Santa Margarita, to Glendora. And I realized about a year ago, I have no desire to play the guitar. None. I don't want to. I just don't want to. And I freed myself of the expectation that I had to learn to play an instrument. Because there's other stuff I'm good at. And I'll leave the guitar playing to Jacques and Jamie. Another, right? Because, because it's not my gift. What is it that God has gifted you with that you're just good at? It's a huge thinking clue to what his call to service is on your life. Amen? What are you good at? We have to remember, though, that we cannot serve apart from the power of the Holy Spirit. See, there are spiritual gifts you know that you really can't give a gift to yourself. People say that. I bought myself a gift. No, you didn't. You just went shopping. <laughs> right? Gifts by design come from somewhere else or given to you and you didn't pay for it. Right? Spiritual gifts are just that. They are given by the Spirit of God and poured into us. And as we develop those gifts, He refines them so that we can use them for His glory. And draw people closer to him. It's a part of his design. There's a website I want to encourage you to check out. Because sometimes we need help with this. We just need a little assistant. Spiritualgiftstest.com. Um, it's one of the, the there, there's a whole bunch of spiritual gift tests out there. I like this one. It's pretty, it's not, there's not like 5,000 questions you have to answer. Uh, it's pretty robust, and it gives a good visual depiction of what those spiritual gifts are. Plus, you can create an account, um, and it's free, and then you can log in, and you can go back and check those results. Um, and here's one more thing you can do, and I, I invite you to do this if you feel so inclined. Some of you have already done this before. When you take it, create an account, take the spiritual gifts test, and then you have the opportunity to email it to people. If you would feel comfortable doing so, would you take this? Would you do this and then email me the results? Barry at thriveglendora.org. Just my name at thriveglendora.org. Because as your pastor, I'd love to know what's stirring in your heart. What is it that God has placed in your heart? If for no other reason to pray for you, you're like, what are you going to do with the results? Going to sell them. No, I'm not going to sell them. I want to pray, I want to commit to pray for each of you that would send me those results to pray that God would start giving you opportunities to release, be released in the areas of gifting. So check that out when you have a minute. Third thing is this, ask this question, what breaks my heart? So what's my vision or what do I dream about? What am I good at? What am I gifted in? And then what breaks my heart? What moves me? Jesus had compassion. The Greek word is splonknizomai. There you go. Bless you. <laughs> I don't share a lot of Greek words, but 
It was one that impacted me in my time in college. I had a professor who focused on compassion. And I just remember it splunk nizomai. It's just like, you have to say it, just kind of, ugh. But the picture is that you would feel something in your gut, in the very core of who you are. That Jesus didn't just go, oh, those people are in a bad situation. It wasn't an observation. He had splunk nizomai. He had compassion. He was moved inside of his being, inside of his physical body for what, what, what was going on in their lives. I'm going to read four passages to you. Matthew 14, 14. When Jesus landed and saw the large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Jesus called, in Matthew 15, 32, Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people. For they have already been with me for three days and have had nothing to eat, which means they were were hungry. Some of you are like, that's me right now. I don't want to send them away hungry or they may collapse on the way. And then he goes on to multiply the bread and the fish and feed them. He had compassion because they were hungry. So we have people that were sick, we have people that were hungry. John 20, uh, Matthew 20, 34, Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes, and immediately they received their sight and followed him. So the blind, he had compassion on them and healed them. Mark 6, 34, when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So what did he do? He began teaching them many things and shepherding them. You notice the connection here that when Jesus had compassion on people, what did he do? He did something. He didn't think about it. He did something. I think in our world today, in our culture, especially in the West, we make a lot of observations. And we feel bad about a lot of things. And very often we do very little about it. Maybe because we don't know what to do, and that's, that's fair. But even asking a question, well, how can I help? Which is, by the way, a great question to, help, to ask. How can I help you? How can I help you? And just asking that will unlock all kinds of opportunities. Jesus had compassion, and compassion moved him to action. Here's the other thing. Not everything will stir you. It won't. God has uniquely gifted you, and he's given you unique passions, which means that some things will impact you and stir your heart, and some things won't. And can I tell you, that's okay. That's okay, because we're a diverse body. We have many parts, and each part has a different function. So while you might be passionate and compassionate in a certain area, someone else will be compassionate in another area, and you complement each other. There's a diversity of gifts and calling. But just ask yourself, what is it that stirs my heart? What, what breaks my heart? I hear stories. I, I hear about things happening to people. I hear about circumstances. And man, that just breaks my heart. I agonize. You very well be, could be touching on the thing that God is calling you to in your life to get into a place of service. And then finally is this one. Ask this question. What needs to be done that needs to be done? What needs to be done that needs to be done? You see, the first three really deal with what your personal calling and place of service in the kingdom is. Every one of us is called to serve. Because if we're going to be like Jesus and conform to his image, as Romans 8 says, then service has to be a part of it because we can't be like Jesus and not serve. Amen? I'm going to say it again. Some of you are processing, you need time. You can't say, I want to be like Jesus and not serve, amen? Amen. It has to be a part of your life. The problem is, is that we are looking for the grandiose. What's my ministry? What is my calling? Right? And everything else is just, well, let someone else take care of it. What needs to be done that needs to be done? See, because if all I ever do is what I want to do, nothing will ever get done. If all I do ever do is what I want to do, nothing will ever get... All the moms are like, uh-huh, yep, 
laundry. Because if you don't have clean clothes, cooking. See, I love to cook. I, I enjoy, like I said, I want to be a chef. And I enjoy the art of cooking and creating. Megan, on the other hand, cooks because we have to eat. She's like, if I don't feed my children, they'll die, so let me just do this thing, right? And that's not to dishonor. Is she genuine? She's like, now baking. Now she loves that. Yeah. Um, what needs to be done? We understand this in our homes. You have to pay your bills. You have to register your car. You have to go to work. There's things you just have to do. And asking yourself what needs to be done that needs to be done. See, because between where you are and what God's calling you to on a larger scale, there's a process in between there. And what we tend to want to do, and, and, we, and we blame, we look at the millennials, right? There's this whole millennials this. We're all guilty of it. It's not just the millennials or the Xers or the boomers. It's the sin nature in us is I want to be famous. I want to do the fun things. The things that get me attention, that make me look good. I want to be up in front of the church. I want to be in front of the congregation. I want to be on this or that. I want to be highlighted. But between there and there, there's a process that God wants to take us through. Your faithfulness and commitment in the small things will determine your effectiveness in the big things. They just will. It's a biblical principle. Matthew 25, 21, his master replied, this is the master who had given the talents to the servants. And then he comes back and he checks in on what they did. He says this, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. If you're faithful with the little, God will trust you with the big. David learn to kill giants watching sheep. David learned to kill giants watching sheep. He didn't go to giant killing training school. <laughs> he didn't take a course online. He was faithful in doing the thing that his father told him to do. David, go watch the sheep. Dad, they stink. And they're obnoxious. And they don't listen to me. Go watch the sheep. But it was in the tending to the sheep that he killed the bear and the lion. It was in the tending to the sheep that he sat under a tree and learned to play an instrument and sing songs of praise to God. It's in the, in the tending of the sheep that he became intimate with God. And it was the tending of the sheep that prepared him to kill the giants. When we're faithful in the small things, he'll trust us with the big things. There's a forge that happens, a forging of our character and our integrity and our faithfulness, and we can't skip it. And so in, in this season right now, you have to ask yourself, what needs to be done that needs to be done in my life? What am I trying to circumvent or skip over that God's saying, no, 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 you have to tend to these things because they will lead you to a place of effectiveness in serving me and my kingdom. All right, I'm going to make it practical for us as a church family. And while the focus of this message isn't, hey, come and do stuff at church, there's a very practical application for us as a church body. Because every week there's stuff that needs to be done that needs to be done. You are sitting in chairs that needed to be set up. There are human hands that laid hands on the chair that you're sitting in and put it where it is or Saturday because it was raining Friday night. Why? Because it needed to be done. The setup, backdrop, screen, the worship list, the preparation for worship, it needed to be done because we want to have service on Sunday morning. There's things here as a church family that need to be done. Our children are being ministered to right now, which means our team prepared this week, got the curriculum ready, set up this morning, Got it ready. Why? Because it needs to be done. And there's aspects of doing life together that are not the glamorous parts. It just need to be done. Can I just tell you this morning, there isn't anyone who has the spiritual gift of setting up chairs. 
It's not my area of gifting, Pastor. It's nobody's area of gifting. In the same way in your home, no one has the spiritual gift of doing laundry. Amen? So where am I going with this? As a church family, there's things that need to be done. There's a principle called the Pareto Principle in the business world. It says this, that 20% of the people do 80% of the work. And those percentages shift. I believe that God is saying to us as a church family, not so with you. And there's a lot that happens behind the scenes. And what I don't want to do this morning is go, you need to do more. I'm not calling you to volunteer because we don't have volunteers. I want to extend an invitation to you this morning. There's things that need to be done here as a church family that I'd love to invite you to be a part of because it will be a blessing to you. Because God will do things in your life in the midst of the menial that will lead you to the magnificent. God meets us in the mundane so he can prepare us for the magnificent because he wants to observe our character and shape our character. Is setting up chairs character building? You better believe it is. Not only that, that we call our setup team the Levites, because in the Old Testament, the Levites were charged with the setting up and tearing down of the tabernacle. This is not a new thing. Mobile church existed in the Old Testament. But the Levites are honored in Scripture, greatly honored. They were the grunts, but they're honored. Why? Because they consecrated the objects of worship. They set them apart, that every chair we sit in isn't just a chair. It's an opportunity for someone to come and worship. And when we join together and help set up these chairs, not only do we set them up, but we pray over every chair, laying hands and saying, Lord, would you bless the person who sits in this chair? Or one day we'll sit in this chair. And it's an opportunity for us to set this place aside and consecrate it for worship. In front of you in the seat back, there's a card that looks like this. It says, I'd love to help. I'd love to help. Because we should all be asking the question, how can I help? I want you to grab one of those right now. Would everyone just grab one? Because I know you're just going, please, Pastor, please tell us what we can do. God has a call in your life. He's called you to serve. As a church, we're committed to helping you achieve that. Because we want to help you thrive in Christ, which means you walking in the calling and the giftings and the ability and the future that God has for you. Between here and there, though, there's a journey. And this is a part of that journey. Right at the top of that list, there's two things. I want to highlight these two areas. Everything else is also important. Everything on this list is important. There's even other things. This is really specific to our Sunday morning times of worship. But our Levites team, here's what I'm asking. If you're visiting with us, this isn't for you. Um, there's no compulsion. There's no nothing. But if you consider Thrive Church to be your church home, here's what I'm asking you as your pastor. Would you commit to one Sunday, uh, one Friday a month rather? One Friday, you, your family, we have kids here helping out on Friday nights. Um, would you commit to one Friday a month and say, yeah, pastor, I'll be there. I'll come help one. Friday a month. I tell you what, if, if we all committed to one Friday a month, the work would be done. It takes us, when we have a good team here, it takes about 45 minutes to an hour. We're in and out. We're done. And it's a great time of fellowship in the process. If we would commit, if each one of us would commit and say, I'll commit to one, one Friday a month, the work would be done and you would be blessed. I absolutely guarantee that. So my question is this, which Friday? And here's what I want you to do. I'm not going to ask you to fill this out now. Next Sunday, we have our vision night and our annual church meeting. And I want to remind you to be a part of that, make plans to be a part of that. Would you bring this card, take this with you today, and pray over it this week? And ask this question. I'm going to press on you a little bit. Don't ask God, should I help? Ask this question, God, where where do I need to help? Where are you calling me to? And he might call you to something that's stretching for you, and that's okay. So pray about it as a family. Talk about it as a family. Which Friday works best for us? Now, I understand there's some, some of you where Fridays, because of other commitments or work, it's just not possible. I get it. And for many of you, you're already serving in other areas. 
But would you, would you ask the Lord, which Friday? And then fill that out and bring that with you. The other is our Thrive Kids. Our Thrive Kids. We have an amazing team. If you currently serve with Thrive Kids, would you raise your hand nice and high? Can we say thank you to each one of these right now? See, because at Thrive Church, we're not doing childcare. We're helping kids thrive in Christ. They're being discipled. They're being trained and raised up to realize their calling, what God's calling them to. But I know that our team right now is not as large as we need it to be. And so maybe you've never considered being a part of kids' ministry. Maybe it's a great unknown for you. You're like, it just kind of freaks me out. Kids are not that scary. Our team does a great job with the curriculum that we have, the structure that we have. They will train you. They will prep you. They will get you ready. There's places outside. It's not just about teaching. There, we need greeters. We need kid, people just to hang out with kids. Um, they have an amazing time uh, worshiping the Lord together. And so pray and ask, Lord, are you stirring my heart to serve with the kids? Again, I'm going to say once a month. Would you consider partnering with our, our kids once a month? You will be blessed by the opportunity you have to invest in their lives for eternity. God loves kids, and so do we. And so bring that before the Lord. And then you can see there's other things on here that you can pray over. Maybe opportunities there. You're going, I didn't know those existed. Well, now you do. Um, again, this is a part of the process. These are things that just need to be done because they need to be done. But in the midst of doing them, God does something in us, and it's good. We're gonna, in fact, we're going to hear more Thrive stories along those lines. I just heard a story this week of someone saying, oh, I was asked to do something, and at first I was like, eh. And now, now I love it because God's given me a heart for this. We're going to hear more and more of those stories. Asking that question, how can I help you? Bring it with you next week, next Sunday night, and we'll celebrate that together. And I ask you to stand this morning. My hope and my prayer this morning is that you've got a glimpse of the heart of Jesus to serve. Starting with you, he came to serve you. But then he calls each one of us and says, I'm calling you now to serve, to give your life. In the big things and the small things. I would love to have a conversation with you. If this has stirred your heart at all and you, you'd love to just grab a cup of coffee sometime. I love drinking coffee and I love talking. So I'd love to sit and chat with you and hear more about what's in your heart to do. Maybe find someone else here at Thrive that, that you can say, oh, can I just share my dream with you? Maybe even at lunch today, hey, can I share my dream with you? And start discovering those things and let's see how we can release God's design for you this year. Amen? Let's pray.